morning. Today we wrap up the series of the Kings, the Old Testament Kings. Have you enjoyed this series? Or has it been a drudgery of history lessons? No? Hopefully you've seen that each of these stories, each of the lives of these kings is more than a history lesson. Now, I love history, but not, I understand not everyone does. But really, each of these messages and each of the stories that we've tried to bring about, because we haven't covered every king, but we've covered the, the significant ones, each of them teaches us something about ourselves. You know, really, we're not a whole lot different than what they were back then. We have a little more information. We have God's word complete, where they didn't have that. But really, in the human realm, we're not different than they were. But it all, each of these stories also teaches us something about God. You know, it teaches us that God is not going to allow, he's not going to permit and, and put up with false worship. He's going to punish that. And he's really a God who's forgiving. And we see that in each of those king's lives, that he is long-suffering, he's patient. But he is not going to tolerate insubordination and false worship. Well, today we're going to look at one more king. We're actually going to look at one of the better kings in uh, the divided kingdom. So I invite you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles 34. Not very often we hear messages from the book of Chronicles. It actually, the chronicle account is a little more detailed than the king's account in the life of Josiah. King Josiah is who we're going to be talking about today. Let me just do a quick recap. I got a few pictures that we're going to throw up on the screen so you can see. But let's just recap for those of you that have been here since February. Because were you here in February? Well, you weren't even laughing about that. You know, this is not the, the series that goes on and on and on. This is, we are wrapping it up today. All right. So let's wrap up the kings. Do you guys remember when Saul was introduced and, and the significant part about Saul was Saul was a man of no heart. David was a, a king with a whole heart towards God. And Solomon was the king that was half-hearted to God. How many of you guys remember that? Are, are, oh, good. All right, and for some of you that are new, that's just, you know, just more information for you. So as we wrap this up, let me just tell you about that United Kingdom season lasted about 120 years. And then, with, then, historically, there was a season of a divided kingdom. After Solomon, the kingdom was split. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And you can see that Judah is in the south, and Israel is in the north. And the dates that are next to those are when they dissolved, when God finally executed punishment on them. And you can see there's quite a bit of years difference. Judah had 20 kings. Only six of them, maybe seven of them, had some righteousness, some good. And then the northern kingdom, there was 19 kings, and not one of them has any ounce, really, of redeeming quality. They were all evil in some ways. So we're going to be looking at this last king. So just throw up the next slide, Ravi. And you're going to sing, Hezekiah was who... Um, uh, Michael preached about last week. You guys remember that? There was actually two sermons on King Hezekiah. All right. And uh, he was both good and bad. 
And then there was a guy who followed him named Manasseh. And Manasseh was pretty wicked. I mean, he was very wicked. And then in the end of his life, there seems to be some kind of repentance that goes on, some kind of turnaround in the end of his life. And then his son Ammon, and then our king today, jo- Josiah. And um, then there are four more kings, all of which are evil, and they only reign 23 years, and then the Babylonian captivity happens. Some of you knew that, right? You guys knew those facts? Well, let's talk about Josiah as we look to him. The author of the book of Kings and the author of the book of Chronicles, not the same author, but both of these uh, scribes give more biblical real estate to King Josiah than maybe any other king in the divided kingdom. Hezekiah is the only one that even comes close to rivaling uh, Josiah in the amount of biblical real estate, the amount of record that we have. All the rest of these kings have just snippets of biblical truth. There's usually just maybe 10 verses or less that's devoted to them. But, but Josiah's got a lot of biblical information here. His life also rivals a guy that I preached about maybe a month ago, Joash. Do you remember him? He was a, another boy king. He became king at eight years old. And these two kings both come to the throne very young. And there's a lot of similarities between the two. The difference is Josiah's life has redeeming qualities throughout. And if you remember, Joash started out great, didn't end real good. You guys remember that if you were here? This is a recap, so this is a refreshing of your memory, I hope. Well, today we're going to look at this Josiah guy. And his account, his story, is an incredible story. And and to me, it's one of those stories that you think, okay, God, I, I just wish I could ask you a lot of questions about this guy. There's a lot of information, but there's some things that are just not there. And for me, it's like, I just I would love to know the deeper truths, the the untold stories. Have you ever read a biblical account like that? And just said, there's just there's not enough information, God. Why didn't you give us more? Well, we're gonna get into majority of this and you're gonna see what I'm talking about. Josiah's life, though, and his kingdom is incredible because he does things that really, humanly speaking, Make no sense. You know, if you were to look at this guy's life, you say, I I don't get it. His life teaches us six things about a word that is often misused and abused. The word is repent. And so each of the points that I'm going to be making, each of these six lessons that we pull out of his life, are based off the word repent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that word repent, I, I think of some angry person, some crazy person, on a street corner, yelling and screaming, repent. And it's not a pretty picture. Am I just the only one that envisions that that way? Or do some of you hear that word and you just think, repent. You know, a lot of churches, because of that, a lot of churches refrain or they, they really dislike using the word repent in church. Those that do use it in that angry way, and they just really, it's, it's been abused. The word repent is really a great word. It is a biblical word. And you're going to see that as we go through this, it really paints a beautiful picture 
of what it means to be redeemed, being purchased by God, to be loved by God. Because if we're truly a child of God, repentance is something that we embrace, not something that we, you know, kind of refrain from. Well, here's the first thing that I want to point out today about Josiah. You're never too young, you're never too old to repent. Let's look at his uh, account here in 2 Chronicles 34. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so now he's 16 years old, anybody in here that age or younger? 16 years old, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek God, the God of David, his father. I don't know if you've been tracking with what I said earlier. How long had David lived before Josiah? 300 years before Josiah. And he is being connected with a great ancestor. Maybe the only one that even comes close to what Josiah has done, or what David has done is Josiah. Watch what he does. 300 years before, he's related to this guy named David, King David. And in the 12th year of his reign, now he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the asherim and the carved and the metal images. And he chopped down the altars of Baal, in his presence, and he cut down the incense altar that stood above them, and he broke down, broke in pieces the ashram and the carved and metal images, and he made dust of them, and he scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He's cleaning house here, right? And he burned the bones of the priests of their altars and cleansed Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem, and the cities of, Man of Manasseh and Ephraim. If you know your divided kingdom, you know what he's just, what's just been said there. This guy, Josiah, is in Jerusalem, which is kind of south middle part of the kingdom. And the author just says he went all the way to the north in the northern part of the kingdom, not in the northern part of Judah. He went past Judah. He went all the way into Israel that had already been taken into captivity. So he goes all the way up there, and Simeon, which is below Jerusalem, it's all the way to the southern part of Judah, and in the ruins, um, no, I'm sorry, and as far as Naphtali, which, if you look at a map, is at the extreme top of where the northern kingdom would have been, and there ruins all around, and he broke down the altars and beat the ashram and the images into powder and cut out, uh, cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. This guy has gone on a cleaning rampage. He's gone all the way to the north. He's gone all the way past the boundaries of what his kingdom would have been. He went all the way to the south and everywhere in between. And then he returns to Jerusalem and says, it's done. Now, I don't know about you, but there is a lot of missing pieces here. And I just want to point out some of the missing pieces that he has. Why and how would this king, this boy king, why would he have done these things? 
He had been surrounded by evil kings for three generations. Three generations of evil kings had brought in the most abominational things that you can imagine. There are, I won't even go into the detail of what they had done in the temple of God. It was horrible. And this king, for whatever reason, cleans house. And he cleans house not only in his kingdom, but he goes all the way to the north and all the way to the south. Why? What happened to him? Who spoke into his life? How did this possibly happen? This is, this is unbelievable. Who caused this change in this man's life? How did this happen? I don't know about you. He had a terrible surrounding. And I just want to be very transparent and say, and, and just ask you, how many of you grew up in homes that were non-Christian? Non-Christian homes. You grew up in a non-Christian home. Just hold your hands up, please. Okay? I had three conversations this week with people in this church that grew up in non-Christian homes where God was not honored. How many of you grew up in homes where abuse, some form of abuse, was commonplace? Either sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. That was commonplace. Notice my hand. We can learn from negative examples just as well as we can positive. Now, we can't learn as much, but we can definitely see what is not to be done. And we can run from that and say, you know what? I know that this is not right. There is something inside me that says what I'm experiencing is not good, it is not healthy, and I don't know what is the right way, but I know this is the wrong way. Maybe that's what happened in Josiah's life. Maybe that's what happened for him. I wonder who spoke into his life, though. When I read this account, it, has to, it, just, it causes me to wonder these things. What caused him to turn to the Lord? There was no reason for him to turn to God. Everybody before him hadn't. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Whether you grew up in a Christian home or you grew up in a home like me, have you ever asked that question? God, what did you do? Why did you cause me to know about you? Why did you reach out of heaven and reach down to me? Me? Why did you do that? If you, if you don't do that on a regular basis, you're missing what the main point is. We're never too young. We're never too old to repent. And if we don't ask ourselves that question, pride comes into our life and we somehow convince ourselves that we deserve God. And better yet, he deserves us because we have something to give him. And that's not true. Humility says, Why? Why, God? Why did you do this? Why did you reach down into my life? Why did you do this in Josiah's life? Can anyone answer that question? Probably the only way we can answer that is because Jesus loved us. To die on the cross for our sins. That God reached down from heaven because he loves us. What did he use? What did he use in this guy's life? I don't know. I can speculate. I can speculate what might have happened, but we're really not told. Do you realize that 
there could have been a grandfather that spoke into his life. Manasseh was a wicked king, and he, and he repents kind of at the very end of his life. Manasseh, the wicked king, would have had six years with this little boy, Josiah, before he died. Maybe a grandfather spoke into his life. If your grandparents today, you have an impact. You have a, a, a platform to speak in the life of grandkids that you, know, you do not know how great that impact can be. Maybe that's what it was. I just have to ask the question, who spoke into your life? I bet you could tell me. If you, if you, each of you, if you know Jesus as your Savior, and I said, who spoke into your life? Who helped you understand God? Who helped you come to the point where you understood that you needed Jesus as your Savior? I bet every one of us could say, well, it was. For me, it was a youth pastor named Don Staten. It's like, Why? Why would you do that? Why would you reach down to a rebellious teenager, a kid that was causing a lot of trouble? Why would you invest in me? Maybe you could say the same thing. I just wonder who spoke into Josiah's life. We're not told, but we just have to wonder. Next Sunday, Michael is going to be preaching about the vision and direction and the the goals of what's going to happen here at Village Church in the next year. I'm excited to hear what, those, the, what his message is going to be. I hope you are too. God is about to do some great things here. God has been doing great things, but he's not finished with us yet. And I hope you understand that. I hope you are excited about what God can possibly do in this next year. You know, for me as the discipleship pastor... You know, I just have to keep coming back to a disciple is not someone who just keeps taking in information, who keeps taking and taking and taking. A disciple is someone who takes what they've been given and he gives it or she gives it to other people. They invest in the next generation. And whoever invested in Josiah understood the principle of discipleship. It's not about just me. It's about me giving my life away, my story away Speaking into the next generation. And if you're here at Village Church, if Village Church is what you call your church home, I don't mean this in a harsh or, or to bring a guilt trip. How are you serving? How are you investing in the next generation? How are you taking what God has given you and giving it away to the next generation and then the next and the next person that walks in the door, the person who doesn't know Christ, the person who doesn't know the joy that can be experienced through a relationship with Jesus. How are you doing that? Next week, Michael's going to be talking more about that. So I don't want to take his thunder. I just want to move on. Before I go any further, maybe I better explain this word repent. Because I've talked about it, but I really haven't given you a definition. Repent or repentance, true repentance is more than a feeling, more than a bad feeling about our mistakes. You know, a lot of times that's what people think it is. Well, repentance is where you feel bad or you feel guilty about our past mistakes. True repentance is much more than that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that, come, that causes us to change our heart and our head, and it leads to a change in our actions. True repentance produces an inward and an outward Result 
of having a personal relationship with, with God. See, repentance is not something that we muster up first and then we come to God. It's a result, it is of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that causes us to repent and to grow in repentance. Remember what I said? Repentance is we are never too young or too old to repent. It's an ongoing process. Which brings me to the second point we see in Josiah, and that is true repentance leads us to right thinking, action, and worship. When King Josiah was 26 years old, now he's already cleaned up the, and, and removed all the false worship idol places. All right? Josiah commissions a group of leaders. And he says, you know what? The temple is a disaster. Let's clean the temple. Let's hire people. Let's get this place spick and span so we can worship God the way we should worship God. And for whatever reason, if you read the account, you see they must have seen something in this man's heart. They must have seen the true repentance that comes from knowing what God wants. So they jump in and what happens in the temple, the way they clean the temple, the job they do, the attitude they have is incredible. And in chapter 35, if we were to jump down there, you'd see that how that he and all the people, they, they bring the ark. The ark of the covenant comes back to the temple. Again, this is one of those missing pieces. Where did it go? It must, the, some priests, and again, this is speculation, some priests must have realized the, the abomination that was going in the temple, God could not tolerate that. Let's get the Ark of the Covenant out of this wickedness. So they removed it. Where it went, I don't know. We don't know. But now King Josiah brings it back to the temple. And in spite of what you see in the Indiana Jones movie, it was in the temple. All right. It wasn't taken away to some Egyptian place. Right? Not only that, but they celebrate the Passover. And they celebrate the Passover that has not been celebrated in over 80 years. And they have an incredible celebration. Again, it's only rivaled by Solomon's dedication to the temple. There's a huge celebration. The people are worshiping. They are honoring God in their words and their actions, their attitudes, and it is an incredible great season in Judah and in the northern kingdom, which is barely there. You know, often people think that repentance is only active at salvation. But I've already said repentance is an ongoing action, an ongoing uh, result of what happened in our hearts and continues to happen in our hearts as we know and understand what God expects. You know, for the follower of Jesus, our life should be filled with repentant moments, with repentant seasons. It really should be. We should be, every time we're faced with God and his word or what he expects of us, it should result in some kind of repentance. Again, what am I talking about repentance? Repentance has both the negative and positive side to it. You know, repentance is I turn away from sin and from evil and I turn to God and his righteousness. So repentance has both aspects that we need to understand. And for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, when we have those repentant moments, it should naturally cause us to worship privately as well as publicly. And, and I always wonder, you know, we have great worship here at Village Church. 
incredible time of, of just celebrating and singing praises to God. But if that's all that is in your life for praise and worship, you're missing. You're missing it. Repentance generates praise and worship and should throughout our lives. You know, there's been seasons in my life and there's been times in my life. And if you know what I'm talking about, you'll agree with this. I'm driving down the road. I hear a song on the radio or I, I start thinking about what God has done. And it just brings me to tears and celebration and worship. And it's like, it's just me and you, God. And it's great. And then we have the corporate time of worship, which is great, too. One doesn't exclude the other. Which brings me to the third point we see in Josiah, the third lesson that he teaches. And that is God, is, God always rewards true repentance. He always rewards true repentance. God is always faithful. Look at verse 14. While they were bringing out the money, now this is the money that they had collected to take care of the cleanup effort and the rebuilding of the temple that they had brought to the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. And Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants. They are doing. So he's told them. They have emptied out the, the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it to the hands of the overseers and the workmen. So basically he's saying, hey, king, you told us to do X, Y, Z. We're doing that. We're in the process. You said pay the guys. We've paid the guys. They're doing a great job. Oh, by the way, we found this book. Now, just so we're clear, it's not a book like we think, a hardback book. What are we talking about? What did they find? They found a scroll. They found a scroll. No one knows. Commentators are, are kind of split on this. Some think that they found the scroll of Deuteronomy. Obviously, whatever they found definitely had a part of Deuteronomy in it. Other scholars believe they found the Pentateuch. They found the first five books of the Bible that Moses had written, and that's what he is referring to. Here's what's significant. God's word had not been heard or read in 80 years. They find it, and they are in awe. It's incredible of, okay, what was going on for 80 years? God's word was totally missing for 80 years. No one in the general public had heard it, read it, seen it. What were the priests doing? They were hiding, probably, from all these false idol priests. But it's incredible of what's going on here in this text. So they find it. And if you were to read the account in Kings, the smaller account, we read that Shaphan, the secretary, when Hilkiah gives him the scroll, he unrolls it and starts reading. So he knows what he's reading here, and he knows what they have found. He knows the significance of this. God always rewards us with more spiritual truth once we give ourselves and once we obey the spiritual truth that he's given us. That is a principle throughout Scripture. 
Now, what's also interesting is the reverse is also true. If we don't respond in faith, if we don't obey the spiritual truth that God has given us today, God is not going to give us any more. And you say, well, Tim, I'm not sure I buy that. Read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 and see if that's not exactly what Paul is saying about the reprobate mind. God has given, him, given the world his clear evidence that he is alive and active and is the creator of the universe. And if we yield ourselves to the natural revelation, God will give us more revelation, more understanding, more truth, more spiritual information so that we can respond to that truth so we can gain deeper truth. And here's what happens. I, I, I hear this all the time from different people. None of you, by the way. I read the Bible, I just don't understand it. And my question is, what part don't you understand? Is it that you don't understand it or is that you don't believe it? Or is it that you don't want to change your life to align with what it says? And that's usually the last one is what it is, right? You know, we read the scripture, we clearly hear what it says or see what it says. And it's like, you know what? I don't want to change my life. I don't want to line my life up to what God's word says. And God says, well, if you're not going to change in this part, why would I give you more? Why would I give you deeper spiritual truths? Practice what you know God says, then I will let you see deeper and more. Which brings me to the fourth point, fourth lesson that we see from Josiah. True repentance grows with a proper understanding of God's word. Listen to verse 18. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. I do not know, and I don't think anybody can definitively say this, hey, it was the priest that found the book. It wasn't me. So if this goes sour, it's on him. He didn't say that. I don't think he said that. Then Shaphan read from it before the king. So Shaphan, the secretary, does his job. He unrolls the scroll. He starts reading the book. And in this same account, I told you earlier, Shaphan had already read this according to the king's account. He knew what it said, and he knew just how far Judah and God's people had gotten away from God. He knew what was coming, and he knew what he was about to read. How is the king going to respond to this truth? Is he going to get mad, or is he going to repent? Interesting question. For the follower of Jesus, reading the Bible isn't an optional practice. You know, we sometimes think, well, I already know the Bible. I've already, I read it when I was a kid, or I read it last year. I don't need to read it again. No, it's not optional. For the follower of Christ, the one who wants to align himself with what God says, we have to be in that regularly. Actually, we should be in that daily so that we can know. The Bible is our only reliable and our only ultimate authority of our life. Have any of you heard that recently from up here? I think some of us have heard that before. The Bible is our ultimate authority. And how can we align ourselves to our authority if we don't know what our authority says? And how can we know what our authority says if we're not reading it, if we're not in it? It's interesting, this whole, whole account is that these guys, Josiah and his leaders, they were already repenting. They were already turning to God. They had already cleaned the kingdom up. They had removed the false places of worship. 
Then God gives them his word. It didn't happen before. It happened after. I don't know about you in your life, but it was kind of like that in my life, too. I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what it said in the Bible. I, I was confused on a lot of things that the Bible said when I was a child. I grew up in a home that, you know, we read Bible stories. Mom did. But I, I didn't know what half of those things meant. And it's as you yield yourself to God, to the, what he is about, and it's when you know he says this much, and I give myself to the possibility that God might be real. There might be someone in charge of this place called earth. That God opens up and gives us and rewards us with more and greater truth. And that's what he did in these guys' life. The fifth lesson. True repentance produces godly humility. Godly humility. You know, there is a false humility, and then there's godly humility. Look at verse 19. And when the king heard these, the words of the law, he tore his clothes. That's an act of humility and repentance, by the way. And the king commanded Hilkiah... Ahakim, and the, I'm sorry, the son of Shaphan, and Abdon, the son of Micah, and Shaphan, the secretary, and Ahaziah, the king's servant, saying. So, for what it's worth, he lists off the names, and he says, Go inquire the Lord for me, for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that, is, that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us. Because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in the book. When he heard what was written, read to him, what God had written, he tears his clothes and he says, Woe is us. We're in trouble. We're in deep doo-doo. We're, we're, we better find out from somebody who knows a little bit more than us. Have you ever done that? by reading scripture, reading the Bible, and you come across things and you say, man, I don't know what this means, but this is deep. i got to find out. i got to go to somebody who knows. Am I the only one that done that? Are you guys with me? I hope so. So they go and they ask, and I don't understand, again, this is one of those, Jeremiah was around, why didn't they ask Jeremiah the prophet? But they didn't go to Jeremiah, they went to a prophetess, and her name is Huldah, and, uh, and so she gives them the message, and she says, okay, here's what's going on, guys, and you need to take this back to the king. God is still going to judge the nation of Israel and the Judah. He's still going to judge them because they've been wicked and they've not turned, from, turned completely to me. They've been worshiping false gods. They're still going to get it. But because Josiah has humbled himself at the reading of the word, it's not going to happen in his lifetime. How many of you guys were here last week and you remember what Michael read about, Joseph, about Hezekiah's response? Let me just refresh your memory. Last week, Michael read how that the prophet Isaiah said, till, said to Hezekiah, dude, it's going to happen. God is going to punish you. 2 Kings 20, verse 19. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there, is, there will be peace and security in my days, 
Remember that last week? Basically, Hezekiah says, hey, Isaiah, it's cool, man, because it's not going to happen in my lifetime. It's going to happen after me, and I'm going to be okay. It's going to be the next generation that gets it. Do you remember what Michael said about that? The pride that that was? Not going to bother me. God's not going to judge in my lifetime. It's going to be the next generation. That is not the response of Josiah. Josiah responds just the opposite. It doesn't matter what judgment's coming in my lifetime or in the next generation. It's coming, and I've got to do, do something about it now. And that's what Josiah does. Here's the real question for each of us. When we read or when we hear God's word, what does it create in us? Does it create an attitude, a repentant heart that says, ah, I've got to line my life up with this. I've got to make a change and turn from this and turn to God and align myself with God's word. Or do I just keep going on my merry way and say, you know what? God's going to overlook it. It's a dangerous place to be. Which brings me to the sixth lesson that Josiah teaches us. True repentance generates a desire to see others repent. True repentance generates a desire to see others repent. Verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, both great and small. That means the executives and the commoners. And he read, he read, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been, that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and he made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes. And with all his heart. Now, listen to this. This is an Old Testament king. With all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that was written in the book. Do you remember what Jesus said about love the Lord your God with all... Remember that? Here's an Old Testament king that's doing it. Then he made all who were in the presence of Jerusalem um, and in uh, Benjamin to join in and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and did... Uh, according to the covenant of God and the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away the, all the abominations from the territories that belonged to the people of Israel, that's up in the north, and made all who were in the presence of Israel serve the Lord their God. All, the, all his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Revival. Revival, revival, revival. And it's more than just revival. You know, revival is just when we get quickened. This is a total transformation in the lives of the people. And that's what we're talking about today. So here's the conclusion. How is my life, how is your life lining up to these six lessons that we read about, about repentance from Josiah? You know, we often read these Old Testament characters And we think, we're nothing like these guys. Man, they are just off the chart evil. They're bad. You know, they lived so long ago, how can I possibly understand them? They're nothing like me, or I'm nothing like them. 
But that's not the case. These six lessons from Josiah should be repeated in our own lives over and over and over again. As we walk with the Lord, repentance is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And it's a thing that's caused by having a relationship with Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we just read about an Old Testament king that lived so many years ago. And so often we just think, man, there's just no way I'm like this guy. There's no way that I can even relate to this guy. And yet that's just not true. You've designed each of us with a giant desire to know that there's a God in heaven. There is a God out there somewhere. You've allowed us the opportunity to see you in creation. And as we yield ourselves to spiritual truth, you give us more so that we can know you, we can know your love, and we can know what you want for us. And I just pray that as each of us have sat here and heard this today, that it won't be just one more lesson, one more message, one more truth, but it'll be something that we share with others. Because true repentance generates a desire to see others repent. Let us do that, God. In Jesus' name, amen.